Hey there, how you doing? This is the A Talking Dude podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find me on Twitter, it's at A Talking Dude, and also there's a YouTube channel as well. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about why I think that we should tax land and why I think that we should limit taxation or even remove taxation on labour and on capital. Now, the principles that I'm talking about here come from a, a stream of libertarian thought called geolibertarianism. And the, the, basic, the basic message of geolibertarianism, I think, boils down to this sentence, keep what you create, pay for what you receive. Now, I first heard this from an economist called Fred Harrison, and it's a, it kind of summarises geolibertarianism or Georgism or geoism. Geolibertarianism is, is, a, is an individualist libertarian philosophy, which uh, on the one hand agrees with other forms of individual, individualist libertarianism. It, it, it agrees with them in that each individual has an exclusive right to the fruit of his or her labour, as opposed to this being owned by the collective or by society or by the community. So in this way, it, it you know, it agrees with libertarian thought and, uh, and it disagrees with communism and socialism, which, of course, are all about the collective and, you know, uh, are very wary of individualism and even wary of private property. But unlike other forms of libertarianism, geolibertarianism holds that all land is owned in common by society and therefore if individuals claim land or a portion of land as his or her property then that individual should pay to the community for claiming that particular land as his or her property or using that particular land to the you know to the uh, exclusion of other people now first of all just to just to clarify by land is meant all naturally naturally occurring resources whose supply is inherently fixed not just limited but fixed examples are you know obviously geographical locations uh, portions of the electro electromagnetic spectrum etc etc land and by land again i mean naturally occurring fixed supply resources land is inherently fixed in supply which means that supply can't change in response to demand. So with other things, with other, with other so-called factors of production, if demand goes up for these things, then you can make more of it. You know, if, if, if demand for cars goes up, then you can make more cars. If demand for workers goes up, then you can import more workers. But you can't create more land to satisfy demand for it. The supply of land is what is known in by eco economists as inelastic. Now, the the classical economist David Ricardo gave a really good explanation of how land initially gains value and this is what I'm going to talk about now is where, where does the value of land come from? Well initially according to Ricardo and, and others initially it's the fact it's the nat natural productivity or fertility of the land and also the fact that it's fixed in supply that gives land its value. Once all land is claimed then land you know land is going to have value uh, and that's where the that's where the, initially where the, where the value of land comes from. As societies become more complex, then there are more and more factors at play, and this is the case today in any modern society. Some of the various uh, factors which go into the value of land are what what use is it permitted to be put to? So we're talking about planning permission, which of course comes from local councils and governments and states. 
then you're talking about how close it is. It's it's proximity to things like materials, usable, useful materials. It's proximity to labor and customers. It's proximity to amenities, so things like schools, leisure facilities, food and drink, markets, and so on and so forth. And by proximity, I'm talking about also transport links. So it's not necessarily even just geographical proximity. Transport links can bring some a, a town which is say a hundred miles away from the main from London. Say, if there's a train which gets you into London in ten minutes, then that basically almost makes it part of London because it's so quick to get there. So that transport links imp- increase the value of land in that way. Then there's also what you might call social capital. So this is things like what kind of people live in an area, the age range of people in that area, what is there, what the community ethos is like, the prestige, income, education levels, even ethnic connections. You know, the ethnic profile of an area, you know, go, goes into determining the value of the land there. Uh, and of course, increased population as well. Uh, can increase the value of, or can can influence the value of land and, and that's one of the things if you have more population density obviously that means that there's more demand on a fixed resource which means that the value of that resource land will go up so the value of land can go up and co- can go down and this can be based on you know current things that are happening and also things which are anticipated to happen in future so uh, you know something like Crossrail for example the new this new train link which is going from I think it's going from Ipswich or Essex somewhere like that all the way through cutting through the centre of London and going all the way out on the other side to Reading I think so Crossrail is boosting the property the, the, the land value along the route which is leading to higher house prices even though the line hasn't fully been built yet and then also you've got Southern Rail which uh, you know Southern Rail had a, a load of problems has had loads of problems over the last kind of year and a half or so with strikes and uh, you know a big dispute between Southern Rail and uh, the, the train unions and that has actually that actually led to a, a depression in the house prices because people are like well this is ridiculous it's going to take forever to get into London now so you know the value of those houses isn't goes down so the, the bottom the bottom line here is that the value of land is generated by various different factors and by various different people. You can say it's generated by the community, oftentimes a lot of state input as well. But here's the kicker. The, the actual land value itself, though it's generated by various different people and various different factors, the when the demand for land increases, the value of the land must necessarily must go up but this increase in land value goes only to the landowners or to the bankers who loan the landowners the money to actually buy the land and in this sense it's private appropriation of public value with no compensation so just to repeat that what i'm saying is that people who own land the fixed scarce resource you know they're not really doing anything to increase the value value of the land. Now, I'm not talking about people who, who own land and then build a build things on it and increase, you know, in, all those kinds of things. If you're building a, a property and you're expanding the property and so forth, then you are adding value and you're, you know, in, you're entitled to, to that increased value because it's the fruit of your labor and your investment. But just the actual, the value of the land, which comes from just the location itself, the unimproved land value, that is going up and up and up. And yet own you're not doing anything to you know to make that value go up but you're pocketing the increased rent that you can charge people and also the increased uh, sale price that you can you can demand for people to for other people to buy that land 
And this, as I say, this is a type of private appropriation of public value. Just to give you a real quick ex- uh, expl- uh, or an illustration of how, how this works, you could have a three-bedroom house, two three-bedroom houses, the exact same size, the exact same dimensions, the exact same you know quality of building work and so forth. One is in Belvedere in, in a posh part of London, and the other is in, uh, where would you say, Lozelles in Birmingham, not a posh part of Birmingham. The value of that land, the the, value, the the property price, the price of that house in land London, in Belvedere, will probably be a million pounds or over. But the value, the price of that land in uh, that house, sorry, in Birmingham in Lozells, would probably be maybe two hundred thousand pounds. So the London, the, the the location is what is key here. Obviously, the two houses are the exact same size, exact same uh, property the exact same quality of building work and so forth and yet the the price is much higher in London the difference there is due to the location and the location the value of that location is not something that the homeowner the property owner in London has done anything about the property the value of that location comes from all of those factors that I mentioned earlier now the fact that this land value goes to only to the landowners has a double-edged negative impact on people who live and run businesses in these areas who remember help to create the land value itself on the one hand they are shut out from the value that they are helping to generate because it's going to the landowners only and on the other hand they are obliged to pay higher and higher sums of money to be able to just live or operate if their businesses in that area and so this leads to a, a, a cyclic, a cyclical problem, which is getting worse and worse and worse. Me, uh, namely, that as land value, as societies develop and got, get more productive and more prosperous, this increases the value of the land. But that also that means that more and more and more of the wages that and, and the value that people themselves are generating for themselves is going into the pockets of landowners because rents are going up, house prices are going up. Now, the big idea of geolibertarians or Georgisms is to to radically reform the tax system so that on the one hand, people keep most or even all of what they generate through work and investment, while on the other hand, landowners must pay for the value which they are receiving from the location, from the land which they they are excluding others from. This would better be called a payment for benefits received than a tax. Some Georgists call for all taxes on labour and capital to be removed and all taxation to be levied on the land. For this reason, their idea is sometimes called the single tax. Now, what are the arguments in favour of this uh, kind of radical tax reform? Well, they can be grouped into the moral arguments and the efficiency arguments. The moral arguments mainly focus on ownership. So first of all, again, the key libertarian principle that each individual is the sole rightful owner of his body and labour. And thus no one else has a right to own our bodies and the fruits of our labour. And from these follows that taxation is essentially a form of of theft. By contrast, land, and again, remember, all fixed supply and natural resources belong to no one in particular by right. No one created it, so no one has a better claim on it to to it than than anybody else it simply exists you could call it a gift of nature a gift of god or whatever a tax on the unimproved 
value of these resources is a way of ensuring that all of us benefit from someone excluding others from a portion of our common heritage. It, this doesn't violate anybody's self-ownership. People can still own land and thus can still do what they want with the land. They can build houses, they can build hotels, they can build uh, whatever, casinos, you know, this, that and the other. And they get to keep all of the, uh, you know, the proceeds that come from what they have done, you know, the work, the investment, the building and development that they have done, they get to keep. But the value, the value of the land, which comes purely just from the location itself, you know, they have to pay f- pay for that. Either they pay some of that land value or they, or all of it. On the economic efficiency side, we've, we've covered the moral arguments, but on the economic efficiency arguments, this focuses on incentives. So specifically, we're talking about deadweight losses. This is an economic term, which means that, which talks about what are the negative impacts of certain forms of taxation? And the, there are clear ones. Taxes on labour discourage work. This is something that Thomas Sowell often says. If you want to see less of something, then tax it. And so taxes on labour discourage people from working. And remember, labour is the only way that people at the very bottom of society in particular can work their way up. And yet this is where, this is where the, the, the tax burden is the heaviest, is on labour. Taxes on capital also discourage investment, but taxes on land have no such effect because, as I mentioned before, land supply is inelastic. The supply of land cannot change due to its fixed supply. A landowner can't remove land from circulation. You know, if 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 land is taxed, the landowner can either either has to lend sell the land to someone else who'll be willing to pay the 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 necessary levy, or hold on to the land and pay the levy himself, him or herself. But the the landowner would not be able to remove the land from circulation or to stop you know the land from existing, which you can do with labour. You can just stop working if the tax just gets too much. Uh, the, and the current tax system discourage the current system tax system you know has the deadweight losses but also land taxes discourage rent seeking this is a form of uh, economic behavior whereby people you know for example land banking where you just you know you buy a bit of land you don't do anything about it you don't do anything with it you just sit there and watch while the you know the uh, infrastructure is built businesses come come around the, the area you know people move in schools are developed this that and the other transport links and so forth the value of your land goes up and up and up and up and up you're not doing anything with that land you're just literally sitting there and, and creaming off the value that other people are creating land value taxation would 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 discourage this because as the value of land goes up so the tax burden would go up and so it discourage people from just buying land uh, you know, for speculative purposes to just wait, watch it go up and up and up and up. Now, a lot of people call themselves classical liberals, but rarely, if ever, talk about this stuff. They mostly subscribe to the idea that land is basically just like any other factor of production. But the actual cl- classical economists like Adam Smith and, as I mentioned before, David Ricardo, understood both the special nature of land, i.e. it's fixed, it's, uh, it's naturally occurring and it's fixed supply and, and it, it, immobility, the fact that it can't be moved. They understood that the special nature of land meant that we needed to prevent land value from being privatised. Now, just to finish up, there's some lo- 
just talk about some of the benefits of land value taxation. Land value taxation, as I've said, would enable societies to recoup the wealth that is created by the community. This could be used in loads of different ways, such as paying off national debt, investing in public goods and services, and so forth. That can be determined by the people themselves. Personally, I'd, I f- I'm leaning towards land value taxation being distributed evenly to every single person in society through something like a citizen's dividend or a universal basic income, kind of like what they've got in Alaska. That In Alaska, every single citizen receives a sum of money every year from the oil revenues. And this would line up with the the, the point that land value is generated by the whole community, by no one, in spe- no one specifically, and so it should be given to everyone in the community equally. A citizen's dividend would... This kind of system would would massively simplify the welfare system, removing the requirement for bloated bureaucracy, and it would also end the perversity of people on low incomes being punished for working. As I kind of hinted earlier as well, another benefit of land value taxation is that it would bring down the price of land. Uh, and And thus of buying, renting a home or a place of business, because land speculation would would diminish because land speculation would just mean that the the owner of the land would just end up paying more and more and more money in taxes. So this would should mean that tenants, both domestic and business business tenants, would be able to keep more of the money which they had previously had siphoned off by the landlords. This change would also incentivize landowners to bring their land into productive use rather than just holding on to it. This could help to regenerate rundown town centres by reawakening commercial activities that would bring people back. Limiting or eliminating taxes on work and investment would, as I mentioned, encourage people to work and invest, because all of the income they'd get from these things would go to them rather than being taxed. And in this way, this is an important point from a libertarian perspective, in this way this would increase individual liberty because people would have more control over themselves and their labour and their capital. Couple more things, couple more benefits. Land value taxation would could actually help us to actually pay for public infrastructure projects from the land value that the public infrastructure then you know actually leads to. So something like a new train line, you know, there's always oh how's it going to be paid for and so on and so forth. Well, it could be set up, and various countries do this. They set it up so that the increment, the the increase. So you build a new train line, and the land value. In, on along that train line goes up because people are more you know wanting to live in certain areas close to these stations then the increase you basically tax that increase and use that to pay back the actual project that you've built so that's uh, that's something that's called land value capture and I think that's fairly fairly common actually in various countries around the world but I think that's something that we can look at doing here in this country think about something like the Olympics for example you know the Stratford Olympics. You know house prices that are in Stratford and the Olympic Village, the Olympic boroughs, has, have massively increased as a result of the the infrastructure building and so forth. And yet, you know that's just gone to the people who own land, while everybody else, all the taxpayers, have had to pay for the privilege of having the Olympics. So those are some. That's kind of like my overview of geo libertarianism. I think it's a. It, to me, it sounds like a, an elegant system. It combines the individualist individualism of of libertarian thought, classical classical liberal thinking, with uh, an understanding of the special nature of naturally occurring resources such as land uh, and and geo you know 
uh, the electromagnetic spectrum and what I'd like maybe like to do in a future podcast is to talk a little bit more about ways in which we already have forms of land value taxation in society such as the you know the the auctioning of the radio uh, electromagnetic magnetic spectrum anyway thank you very much for listening this has been a talking dude take care for now don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and also uh, hook up on twitter as at a talking dude and also my youtube channel all right take care and i'll see you soon